0: Good evening, folks. I'm Stuart Bechtel with your Valiant 33 Soccer Wars news update. We Mike on the ground in Rochester now.
1: Well, Stu, the front line of Soccer Wars have really escalated here. It's a four-sided war. And zealots each faction have taken up arms. Soccer balls have been weaponized, and they're certainly flying right now. Shin guards just aren't enough for the carnage. Shocking scenes here. The lines have been drawn and all sides resorted to trench warfare. Possible secret alliances are imminent. It's our to the but one thing is certain: blood will definitely be spilled. Fucking ridiculous. You are listening to the Valiant 33 podcast with Mike and Stu.
0: My dog
1: figured out how to open the door. Judith, swear
0: to God, she knows how to open the fucking knob. My, my dumbest cat knows how to open doors. He understands what a doorknob is, and I'm like,
1: she's too smart for her own good.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's why Colin has uh, has anxiety, and we have to give him Prozac, is because he literally is just like (laughs) nervous. Also, this is the cold open, by the way.
1: Oh yeah. A nice banter. Yeah, when my dog gets super riled up.
0: Uh, Finger in the butt?
1: Yeah, of course. No, that's me. <laughs> that's when I get too excited. That's how you calm me down.
0: That's a different type of uh, excited, though.
1: That's for my other podcast that I have. We are the Valiant 33 podcast, back for 2022. If you're just joining us, we are a podcast from Rochester, New York. And we talk about the rhinos. We took a little break for the holiday season, uh, but here I guess we'll do a quick recap of everything from uh, season one.
0: If you weren't aware, the Rhinos did take a little bit of a hiatus. They started at the end of 2017. They were fairly quiet up to 2021, and then they did in the middle. They did announce a partnership with Empire United, which is a local soccer academy. June 2021 was when they were announced that they were back. The shocker being that. Jamie Vardy, the Premier League player, was added to the ownership group, along with his V9 Academy, which includes John Morris, his agent, and Dr. Lee Tucker.
1: Yeah, John Morris is a, a big name, too. Who who else does he represent? You showed me a list one time.
0: Yeah, Joe Gomez, um, Calvin lewin there's
1: Ake, too, right? It,
0: it, yeah, there, there's a ton of players that you, you wouldn't think of, and... We'll talk about one of his players later on in the podcast, too.
1: Yeah, those are some heavy names that he's got (laughs) on his roster over there. But uh, after that, we'd go into the rebrand, which was a a hot topic for a little while.
0: So I I think it still is a is an issue with with a a segment of the fans without an official connection with the Rhinos name. But I'm hoping pretty soon that'll get all figured out.
1: Yeah, there's certain ways for them to kind of just sew that up neatly. But no longer are they the Rochester Rhinos. They're now known as Rochester New York Football Club or RNYFC. Or if you're like me, you just are in the habit of calling them the Rhinos. To put our episode in a sentence uh, for that one, we said, let's just give it a chance. And at the point it is now, I don't really care what the name is. I'm just, yeah. after all this stuff started coming out, like the player announcements and all that, and the coach and everything, the name is whatever. Yeah.
0: And, and, and frankly, I'm I'm liking the badge a lot more now than when I originally saw it. It's uh, it, it, I think we both didn't love the the new the inclusion of New York in it, but it does make sense with the fact that the team name. And I've just been calling them R and Y personally, anyway, and that just goes that just works.
1: Yeah, just like anything else. Once something's around for long enough, you just get used to it. So the basically the the badge and the rebrand is a non-issue for either of us. Um, and they also have their hashtag motto, believe impossible for those who want to know that.
0: <laughs> I, I, I like it. I think it goes into their, the thought process behind the team, the thought process behind why Vardy invested in the team and what he's trying to do the the V9 Academy, just to go a little bit into that was to bring non-league players into the premier league, hopefully that's going into their motto so i i think it uh i think it all works the other big change that we learned was the stadium if you're not aware the soccer specific stadium was built in the mid 2000s had a bunch of problems with it it's widely known at the time time of the hiatus that the Dworkins wouldn't be returning the soccer specific stadium was built in the mid 2000s which the rhinos stayed at for 12 years and in rochester that was that was a problem was widely known when the Dworkins went on a hiatus that they weren't going to be returning. The initial plan was to convert the Empire United outdoor facility with stands as a temporary measure until a permanent stadium could be built in the fall that was changed to the team announcing they were going to play at MCC. I'm super excited about this as this fixes a lot of the p- concerns people had with the previous stadium. It also allows them to build in the right facility and they don't have to invest a ton of money in a spot They know they're not going to be as the, the Empire United is a great field for an academy, but for a pro team, there's probably a million or two of money that would need to be thrown into in there to put 5000 seats, for example.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that they're starting small. They kind of took some of the lessons from playing in a stadium that was built for MLS with 13000 seats. They're starting small with 1500 Uh, I think that's a smart move. And then when it sells out you could add more and more and you, you kind of know from there what the capacity should be at the permanent stadium. So I, yeah, I'm happy with the move uh, to MCC. Um, And there's plenty of stuff to do around there before and after the games too, which is a huge bonus. December was a big month with two big announcements They, we finally got the league that we were joining, which is MLS next pro. If you don't know that by now, uh, now, you know, um, and we're the only independent team in there, which is big deal. All the other teams are affiliated with D one MLS teams, except for us, we are independent and we also announced the manager selection of Bruno Baltazar as the coach
0: is a former assistant coach at Nottingham FC in the EFL championship. He has UEFA Champions League experience. He's an exciting prospect. He's a young, hungry coach attacking no-nonsense. That's what we're looking for right now. I I think everyone can agree they'd rather win a game 5-4 than 1-0. And I think that's that's the type of game he's going to play.
1: And you can tell by some of the, the players we've signed so far that that's exactly what he wants to do. But we'll get into that a little bit later on. So... To start off, now now that the recap's done, to start off this new season of the podcast, we're going to go into those player signings, but first, uh, we're going to talk about the league and the the kind of structure and rules of MLS Next Pro and why that is different than any other league in America, regardless of what division it's in.
0: Yeah, so there was a really great athletic article written a few weeks ago that detailed a lot of the... A lot of the aspects we thought, but weren't weren't sure of, um, one aspect that I think is under underappreciated is that player contact player contracts are going to be owned directly by the club themselves, not the league. This does make it much more of a independent league, even though it is affiliated with MLS. I think this takes away the argument of, oh, it's just a reserves league. There's also no salary cap. That means no maximum and no minimum. The big aspect there is this means that they can bring in college players and not affect their college eligibility.
1: The, when that first came out, a lot of the, the negative comments about it was people just assuming that this meant that teams in the league were going to exploit young players by paying them nothing and selling them a dream of maybe playing in the MLS. And that's a super negative take. My initial take was I was just focused on the no maximum, the no sal- no salary cap. So you could pay competitively and actually bring somebody to your club who might not normally think about going there. Um, does this mean that some teams might not take advantage of it? I don't know. Probably to be, to be realistic. Some teams may just stash some players um, on there, but having, have it not having it not affect the college eligibility is huge because there's a lot of players who will not go pro because they want to finish college. They want to get a degree. So this allows them to play pro, but also be in college.
0: The other thing too is this also allows high schoolers to play in this league where they couldn't play in USL because they may just want to get a game or two in. They may not know what their true level is, they didn't have that ability. They had to make the choice at 15, 16, 17. Am I going pro right now? Or am I going to go to college, get an education, but maybe I had that chance to go MLS, go to Europe, but I needed to play against people who weren't in high school.
1: Yeah, what What I think this really means is that the contracts and what they pay becomes strictly merit-based and that's within the financial frame of what a club can afford, which is in line with the rest of the world. Smaller clubs have less money and pay smaller contracts. Bigger clubs have more money and pay bigger contracts. The thing is, is that now before you would have to kind of take into consideration the salary cap. Now, if, if there's a player that's worth it and you got the money, you can bring them over.
0: The, the other aspect too about this is, there's still two other D3 leagues at least right now in America.
1: So if a player <laughs> I was going to say for now,
0: <laughs> if a player doesn't want to uh doesn't doesn't like this, they have other opportunities that they can choose. So I'm pretty sure there's a reason why players are going to be choosing this league and we're going to talk about that in a little bit as well.
1: Yeah, the the only thing I would say is that USL I don't know if you would even call it an advantage, but USL has the the minimum requirement of pay for players. So uh, they they do have that. So you know you're going to pay this much bare minimum, but there is also a cap on how much you can be paid. So it's almost like they've taken the center slice of the cake um, or the middle piece of the pizza, whatever (laughs) whatever you want to say. So there's more stability as far as pay. Um, but there's less options, so there is going to, going to be players who would rather take the safe money and let me go USL and get that minimum. At least I know I'm going to be paid twenty two hundred a month. It's like being on salary compared to being paid commission.
0: Yeah, exactly. Agree completely. Uh, the,
1: the the other thing I took was that there's no hint of any pro rel, so we can just not even.
0: Yeah, the, we're we're going to do an episode in a couple weeks or a month about pro-rel and what the reality of that would be in the U.S. It's something that I don't think anyone strictly is strictly against, but the soccer landscape right now does not work for pro-rel going from D1 down to D3.
1: I will say though that this, well, I should also throw in that there's seven international slots and you can get more by trading with other teams just like MLS does, but really the summary of the league coming out and giving all these rules is that no other league has the moral high ground over ours at the moment. Nobody has pro rel only two leagues really signed players direct to club, which is Nisa and MLS next pro I'll be honest. NISA's not going to make it long enough to do pro rel. So anybody, everybody like to talk shit about this next pro league saying like, Oh, it's, you know, MLS junior, all this shit, but it actually came out. I think, superior in a lot of ways to other leagues
0: yeah just to round up my thoughts on it the no minimum salary while it may look bad allowing those academy players to play without screwing up their future by forcing a 16 year old to play one game in a u.s open cup match and then never be able to go to college and play for example is great being able to bring in players from Potentially the the main roster for half a season to recover and still be paying them their MLS salary is really useful and I, I think it's it just it's a good good groundwork for what a D three team should be.
1: And I I have a theory that I mean it's not even my theory. A lot of people are saying this that MLS is trying to build their own pyramid. They have D one. They have D three now. It's only a matter of time before they slip a D two in there. D3 will remain the way it is now, but it will be all the two teams, MLS two teams. And then the D2 is once they get enough independent teams in that league, those will be the, the division two teams. After that, maybe we can talk about pro ProRel, but who cares?
0: It's, yeah, we'll have, a, we'll, we'll have an entire episode on it. I also would add that they probably will do a D4 league with their, their academies, with U23s and... Or probably U19 and under.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if they end up buying either UPSL or MPSL and just making that the fourth fourth tier.
0: Yeah, that could happen. Now to lead into the big news of this week, we finally have roster announcements. Um, It's a mixture of experienced and recent college graduates, and the graduates are a lot of players who may have been overlooked by MLS for various reasons. Uh, A big one is just location. We'll go into that with some of those players. We're also rehashing a bit of what we've done this week on Twitter and Instagram. So catch those if you want to see our mugs and also some highlights from these players. Preston Pop was the team's first signing. He comes from UNC Charlotte. Very impressive resume. 22 goals over four years. He's got a little bit of Vardy in him. One of the uh, interviews we saw about him actually compared him there. So as Mike said on our video on him earlier this week. We wonder why he why he got signed. Won the uh, conference USA Golden Boot winner this year. It, it, just an exciting prospect. It's a forward.
1: Yeah, that club statement said uh, he was a little a little like Vardy, which is true. I see that in him, but I also see a lot of Danny Ings too, especially with how he likes to drop back for the build up play, and how ruthless he is one v one on the keeper. He does have a lot of trick moves. Like I'm watching the uh, the highlight video of him. And he loves just attacking the, the net like from pretty much any ankle. He scored every type of goal, headers, low crosses, everything. Look at that little double, little double Cruyff turn and then buries it in the bottom corner. That's a fucking move.
0: He, he loves he loves the far corner and he loves a, a cheeky 180.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, I love this. When he, uh, after he scored that late winner, he took his shirt off and started running around the whole field. I love those celebrations.
0: Oh, I wonder how uh, college refs see that because we all know that's a, uh, a yellow card normally. But at one point, like college football, for example, you could, if you celebrated at all after a uh, after a touchdown, you got a penalty.
1: he's going to spend more time with his shirt off than with it on? Oh, look at that top corner. I'm just watching his highlight videos now. I've ignored (laughs) the podcast.
0: This is the part of the podcast. Ole,
1: ole, 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 ole ole hit the music. Preston pop pop pop. Preston pop pop pop
0: the part of the podcast where Mike forgets it's a uh, auditory medium and not visual.
1: Defense is golden. His boots are golden. Venga comigo! So, the, the second. He's a perfect player. I, just watching his highlight videos, I, he's gonna he's gonna do well.
0: Yeah, and I think the one part about him, UNC Charlotte. I I don't know a ton about college soccer, but I know that he was up in the MLS Super Draft, wasn't signed for whatever reason, but. That's what this club is looking for. It's those players who may have been overlooked because there's thousands of kids graduating. Anyone graduating this year has had two COVID-affected seasons, and I think there's going to be a lot of diamonds that they can find that were missed by MLS clubs.
1: Everybody that we've signed so far, they have laurels. They have awards. They were either captains on their team, or they won Golden Boot, or they were all-team 11 for the, the division they were in. So it's just one of those instances, I think, where – there he goes, taking his shirt off again. Love this kid. Uh, (laughs) Where I think you see how small the landscape is for a lot of players. There's going to be players that are good that don't make it because there's only limited spots. And like you said, this is why this club exists.
0: The other aspect, too, before we get into the other five signings, is – the other aspect with the MLS super draft that needs to be remembered is the fact that you can be drafted but then not signed by the team. There's most of these teams are pretty close to their roster limit anyway and then that just puts you two months back from the super draft to potentially getting signed by a D2 or D3 team. You may essentially lose a season because you're signing for a team that already has 5 players in your position and you just can't get in because They're doing well, even though you could do better. The second signing that we had was a defender and Lamar Batista, specifically a center back. He's got a lot of experience. He started super young, um, started at Portland Timbers, played in MLS uh, with with the Open Cup, USL Championship, League One, back to USL Championship. Still only 23, so five years experience. 23 is pretty crazy. And he's also six foot five literally one of the highlight reels is him jumping and being three feet above the net.
1: Yeah. That's the most impressive part is just how big he is. It's ridiculous. Like you could t- like the highlight videos. I don't think they need to even put a little marker on him because he's so easy to find. He's the seven foot tall giant among everybody else. Who's five, five.
0: <laughs> he played with Rochester native Haji Berry at Oklahoma city and they sorry, switchbacks and switch, Switchbacks FC one of the things to remember as well is that with defense is super important to give forwards the platform to succeed so i can see lamar being involved with that and giving the giving the impressive forwards that we've signed that ability to do their job and not have to pull back and especially the midfield not have to pull back and cover we've got this giant in the backfield covering the entire field
1: a lot of his play he ends up wide um so whether it- by design or he's covering for somebody is irrelevant just because he does it um and it, it's nice to have a center back who's comfortable going out wide because that is a main weakness of center backs as you pull them out especially in a back three if you pull one of them out wide you know they don't usually know how to handle that so having somebody who's quick enough and can tackle well down the sideline is going to be huge especially with the attacking mindset that this team already has and will probably have having a center back who can do a lot of that, uh, grunt work, I guess, and being left footed. We'll see if he can ping a ball. I'm sure he can. That's only going to help. And speaking of offense, the next signing after Lamar was uh Jesus batiz from new Amsterdam FC. I like to say that he's got the flash and bravado of Wilf Zaha but he's got a heavy dash of Sasson from Bionic Balassi. And I think he's best as an inverted winger, especially from what I've seen, because he's got that nice left foot and just going along with the attacking mindset, having inverted wingers that like to crash the net. That's very offensive, not offensive, offensive. <laughs> the other team will think it's offensive, <laughs> Yeah. but, uh, he, he's got trick moves. He's a typical winger. He's He loves his trick moves. Uh, he's quick. And he can put service in, too. He's not all about cutting inside and ripping a shot. I've seen him lay up some nice crosses. And I think he's going to do well bouncing back and forth uh, between the touchline and the center.
0: I think you saw him in person last year at the yeah, that's uh, right. local D4 team.
1: Yeah, the uh, UPSL playoffs. He put up a hat trick. It was all in the the second half, too. The first half was pretty even, but then he didn't stop. He had an engine. I mean, the first half, uh, the local team did a good job of kind of containing everybody. But once it hit the second half, he was still going at the same speed, and he just took over. So that's good to have, too, uh, on a winger is kids got a motor.
0: Exactly. And I think that's one of the big areas, too, that's often forgotten is fitness is super important. The game just gets faster as you go up the levels. And I think that's that's one of the big things that's that's missing between high school, college, pro is you can go for five minutes, but it's a 90-minute game. Having that engine, being able to push for that entire game, that's how you win games. When it, when it's even, is, it may not be skill. It may just, at one point, if you're evenly matched, it's about just being in better shape
1: than the other team. And what was interesting was the next signing that they announced was, uh, Dante Perita. And he's also kind of an inverted winger. And they just listed him as a forward, but I could see him on the left cutting in on his right. So I think just based on who we know now, they might not both start, but if they do, I could see them cause they're very similar. They're the nice way to say is they got low centers of gravity. Uh, <laughs> They have good ball handling skills. They're like they, it's velcro. The ball's velcro to their feet. Um and they both like to cut inside and and attack. I think and he's got 36 goals uh to his name. Dante does from Oral Roberts. That's insane. Having two of those types of players on the field at the same time is going to cause a hell of a lot of problems.
0: The big thing that I saw from the highlights was how how active he was between the lines that he's basically, he's not just going to be the forward waiting right next to the goalie trying to chip it in when the goalie falls down. He, he's also a playmaker. He's trying to trying to push the ball around, and he does have an eye for a long pass as well. He's got an ability to put the ball where it needs to be.
1: He's also, Dante's also an Oklahoma native. There's a lot of Oklahoma boys on this yeah. team. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think we've found found a niche with an area where soccer may not be the most popular sport with I mean everyone knows American football is loved in Texas and that's just going to go to Oklahoma as well so we we may not have as many scouts there as what or others may not have as many scouts there so I think that's where we're finding some of these players and and getting them when they may have been overlooked which is part of the whole idea behind the v9 academy as I've said probably eight times so far this episode
1: (laughs) well the next announcement comes from about as far away from Oklahoma as you can get, and that's Ed Williams.
0: So if if you're not aware, he's currently signed to Doncaster Rovers. We we've got him on loan, moved up the English non-league ladder. Last club was Kidderminster. Kidderminster. Mhm. Well, last club was Kidderminster. They just played today, actually. Uh, yeah.
1: They lost to West Ham in the FA Cup, but
0: yeah, in the last shot game. of the game. Yeah. yeah, last shot of the game, and well, first they. they Two really, really rough goals to let in. It's
1: because they don't have Ed Williams anymore.
0: Exactly. Doncaster Rovers is in the EFL League One, if you weren't aware. The big reason we got him was his agent is John Morris, who we talked about earlier, and who's also Vardy's agent. So I don't think we would have gotten a player of his caliber in 2017, for example. Just to be perfectly honest, he did have trouble getting game time at Doncaster, but... There's only 11 places on the field, and one of the big things that I saw was Doncaster sometimes plays a 4-2-3-1, the two being the midfielders. So if you're competing against six, seven other players for two spots, that's going to be tough, and that may not suit him. So I'm I'm really excited about this, seeing what he can do over here.
1: Yeah, I was reading a lot of stuff online um, when he was announced, and there was a lot of Doncaster fans who were kind of negative on him. Didn't say why, but... I mean, I can imagine, but he doesn't got to worry about that here. He's got a home now here.
0: It, it, yeah, and I think that's one of the that's one of the big things that I I never really got behind was it, being rough on a player, especially if they're not getting minutes. If they're getting minutes, sure, but if for whatever reason they're we're never gonna know what's going on behind the scenes. And obviously, if if John Morris who found Vardy and also. Frankly, got helped get him that spot at Doncaster Rovers. I I would trust John Morris of bringing bringing a player over here more than a random fan on Twitter who probably just yells, yells at his players the entire game rather than actually tries to support (laughs) him.
1: Yeah, the guy who just yells, squeeze
0: the whole game. (laughs) Yeah, the the guy in uh, 2017 who just screamed switch every single time a player had the ball. Yeah.
1: Shoot! <laughs> yeah, I know those guys. Yeah. All right. Uh, the the round off the week of announcements was uh Paulo Soares. Uh, comes from Quinnipiac Bobcats. He's really a box to box defensive minded midfielder hybrid, but uh he he really just acts as the the transition piece between defense and offense. And I from what I saw, they like to use him in in pressing situations a lot because he's good at winning the ball back. Uh, he's got a good eye for just making, I guess, just making the easy pass, which is nine times out of 10, the best pass to make.
0: Yeah. Especially in that position. So the the defensive midfielders almost a lot of the time, it's a center back who isn't tall enough to be a center back and who also, as Mike was saying earlier, someone who can actually pass the ball. So you want to have them be that transition where they get into a spot that center back can easily get a pass, and then they know where to transition it upfield. Where a lot of the time, the easiest way to score a goal is a quick transition. But you can't go, you can't always go center back to forward. You need someone in transition, throw the defense off one way, and then throw the defense off the other way to get that, get that inverted winger who may, may be on a quick run. And I think that's what we've got with him. He is from uh, Cape Verde. And he played for the national team in twenty nineteen. So that's got some experience there,
1: yeah, I don't know if they if they'd use him as an out and out number six or an out and out number eight. I think he's a little bit of both. I think that's valuable to have. He's a jack of all trades, you know, in the middle I, I have him in my way too early lineup, which we're about to get to. I have him playing right in the middle of the park.
0: I, I like that. i um we're probably going to have another podcast about this at some point, but the the formation, the idea of a formation being, rigid is is way out it's more like when you play fifa fifa team pro now and it's like well are you attacking are you all out attack and you've got different formations for for each having them kind of in a a diamond in midfield i think makes a lot of sense
1: from what we have so far i went i jumped the gun by a lot and made a a little lineup (laughs) i have the team as a four three three and then I have Brejita on the left wing, Pop in the middle, Batiz on the right. I got Williams as a right mid. And then I got Suarez as the center mid. And then Batista as the center back. Um,
0: who's, who's the goalkeeper, Rex?
1: Uh, uh, Lawrence Gerrard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I just picked a 4-3-3 because that's an attacking formation. And that's, they've made it very clear that's what they want to do. And I'm sure this will change on Monday when more players come out, but having the two inverted wingers, you got two dribblers who want to attack the net. You got a striker and pop who can drop in and take the ball centrally, but also be a threat in the box. I, you know, I think that's a, a solid guesstimate for right now.
0: I, I could see them possibly doing four, three, two, one with pop up front as a striker. brigada coming into, uh, shore up the center a little bit but yeah i i, I think it's i think I, I think four through three is probably a little bit more traditional and a little bit easier to at least start off with as i was saying the the formation isn't set in stone either
1: well yeah for i mean all these lines four through three four three two one like it's all loose a loose frame like nobody ever plays a rigid anything it's all fluid the lineup so really just for nerds like you and me
0: Yeah, I I guess the the one thing I'm hoping that that Bruno can bring in, and I I suspect he can, is making sure that we're covering the middle of the field. That was one of the big, big issues that we had in 2017. There'd be five in the back, one in the middle, and then four up front. And there'd literally be like 40 yards of free space in between. It was pinging back and forth, but it was more... We basically had one striker that year, and he would lose the ball, and then they would just waltz up the field. So having something in the middle is going to be important and making sure that those, if we're doing four, four, three, three, those wingers have to go up the field a bit. Center backs need to stay back, but m- basically making sure that we're recovering the entire field and not just two segments of it.
1: Right. And those were two different, like opposite ends of the spectrum. As far as coaching philosophy, Bob Lilly was, he wants a one nothing win. He wants to get the goal early and just hold on to it and play defense for the rest of the game. From what I've been piecing together about Bruno, that's not him.
0: Yeah, that's that's what we're excited about.
1: Really, yeah, the, the other thing that I, I pulled from all this, all these player announcements, is that we're living in an age that makes this so easy to do for player info. Like back in the day, like before Instagram and Twitter, like we really didn't get that much on players. But like last night, I couldn't sleep, so I was just scrolling through Instagram, looking at profiles of athletic men, <laughs> as I do. Yeah. <laughs> and like you can just you can get pieces of their personality already. I Haven't even met the kids. Okay. Like I know, I know. Paulo Sores has a large roommate who doesn't care when he's doing keepy uppies in his living room. <laughs> and like in, in one Instagram, like the guy just walks right past them. Like doesn't even care. He's he's doing it. Yeah. And then in the other videos, he's just in the background on the computer, like you could just see his leg the whole time. Yeah,
0: it, yeah, I, I think it's. I, I like it a lot. It makes the uh, well, it makes our job easier of finding information when we get our get our insider to give us some info and can can read interviews and get that real information about someone. I'm hoping the team can utilize that as well because one of the big issues that I think the the rhinos had and. The later seasons was once it went from A-League to USL, you didn't have players signing five-year contracts to a team. You had players signing a one plus one. Then not having any information about Rochester and just kind of being they train in the morning, go home, shower, maybe train in the afternoon or in the evening, but not really do anything in Rochester and having the social media access, and we've already started talking to some of the players. I think we've got we've got an ability to make this really a community team and not just a team that you go to and watch their games and then go home and the next morning watch a EFL team and get super excited about them.
1: Yeah, Lamar Batista gives me Hector Bellerin fashion vibes, and I'm going to need to talk to him about those bell-bottom pants, and I know he knows what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> I, I know nothing about fashion, so I'm just going to uh, be quiet. <laughs>
1: And I can tell you right now, Ed Williams is going to be an East Ave legend before the first season even ends.
0: Do we want to get into his uh, Instagram reel that we saw the day? Nah. That he was announced? nah. Okay. We'll, uh
1: <laughs>
0: we'll keep that for offline. He's a fun guy. He's a fun guy. He knows to throw, how to throw a party if you... Uh... Oh,
1: yeah. Cut from the same cloth, buddy. <laughs> Takes one to know one. Um. So-
0: so, w- want to start talking about the uh, some of our listener emails? Yeah, let's do some emails. If you also want to ask us a question and get on the show, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or send us an email at valiant33podcast at outlook.com.
1: All right, let me, let me open up the, the bag here, which is just the email. Um, here we go. First one. Dear Mike and Stu. I was recommended your Valiant 33 podcast by a friend. I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I don't have a ton of time for new stuff. If I do decide to give you guys a shot, do I need to have listened to Valiant podcasts 1 through 32 to understand what's going on? Thanks.
0: Yes, you do. (laughs) Everything we write is gold, and it's required to listen to in order to understand. This is a serial. This is not just a standalone.
1: Okay. First of all, the 33 in Valiant, is not because there are valiants one, two, three, all the way up to 32. The number does not mean that this is the 33rd valiant. Um, If you search for those, you won't find it. But what I do recommend is, yeah, go back and listen to all the other podcasts. And that was signed by Lou Sassoli. Lou Lou Sassoli. Oh, it's a fake name. Thanks, Lou uh what's next we got another one also thanks for listening by the way um
0: well i don't think he's a listener yet i think he will be now
1: so maybe we need to send him an email yeah dear mike and stew while we all sit here bored waiting for the friggin season to start can you recommend any good soccer shows or movies to watch Tried to find, bend it like Beckham online. What I found had nothing to do with soccer. Oh, God.
0: <laughs>
1: I can only imagine. What do you got? What do you, what do you've been watching? Can you hear
0: the, uh, the helicopter behind me?
1: No. Okay. So
0: I'm going to do two that are pretty well known. And Actually, it's technically three. The All or Nothing, the Man City, and then the Tottenham one were pretty good. Those are both on Amazon. And this two seasons of Settler Until I Die to watch what can happen when people who aren't interested in football buy a football team. that it? That's all I got.
1: Okay. So what I would recommend is, it's not a documentary style one. Uh, And by the way, the Rhinos are uh, getting their own documentary style show. We don't know what it's going to be on. I just say Netflix because I assume... But the one I, I like to watch, which is more of just like a sitcom, it's called Rovers. And it's basically just about like a group of people who just really are into their non-league team. And like the team is probably at the bottom of the, the English pyramid. They only play in front of like 27 fans. But they it's kind of like Cheers where a lot of the stuff happens in the bar that's on the ground. And they never show the actual players playing, but the players come in and out of the bar sometimes. And it's just, just like a situational comedy about just following a non-league team. And I basically, that that's us.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, is this autobiographical of us from the last three years?
1: <laughs> There's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of things I could relate to in that show. Um, Either that or just watch Ted Lasso like everybody else, even though I'm not even a, that big of a fan of that show.
0: Yeah, it's it's gotten a little better, but it definitely lost me halfway through season two of being a football show. It was more.
1: Well, yeah, that's what it is. It's not really about the sport. It's about the relationships of people surrounding it. Season one, I thought was great. And then episode one of season two, I was like, all right, we're in for another one. And then it just fell apart for me. Yeah, I think
0: I think episode seven, it got back back to being good, but I'm not. I'm not as I'm not as excited about season 3 also basically already knowing what the result is going to be because they've said it's a three season arc.
1: COVID did beautiful things for that show just like Tiger King. Tiger King's not even that good of a show, but it was just came out in COVID. So yeah.
0: And then they redid it uh, or they did a season 2 and everyone who was involved was like, "No, we don't want to do, we don't want to be involved with this and it basically died.
1: You can get Carol Baskin on cameo by the way. <laughs> We might get her for the podcast. All right. One more email. Are we in the sweet spot of soccer history? Did we miss it or just entering it? The amount of money paid the players is insane, but bigger business means bigger exposure. I can watch a game every day if I want. And I do. Many say the game's gone in quotes because of where a lot of the money comes from and the corporate turn soccer has taken since the eighties. But because of that, the sport is more accessible now than ever. So, are we in the golden age, or are we too far gone into the rabbit hole of big business? I'm I'm going to put this
0: as in two two answers, two different buckets. I I think in America we're getting to it. So, just going to list some quick stats that are going to be fun to read. Um, ten years ago, MLS had 19 teams. The division the division two. League had eight, the division three league had 11. right now MLS has 28, the D2 league has 27 teams and the three division three teams or three division three leagues have a combined 42. I-, I think soccer in America is in a golden age that we haven't seen since the 70s. We're getting big players we're getting a lot of great things are happening. In other leagues, I think it's it's a little... Sorry, in other countries, it's in a little bit of a rough spot. I think we've seen with Newcastle United, for example, being bought out for essentially less than an MLS franchise by a literal country. There's a lot of things that money can do that needs to be curtailed to level the playing field. We saw the ESL trying to make a Super League.
1: See, I like comparing soccer now to what anime was 10, 15 years ago. And anime kids were always made fun of, but recently, over the past decade, it's become mainstream to like it. And it's also kind of considered cool. Um, and so you have tons of new fans crashing down, and all of like the OG anime kids um, are just kind of eye rolling because they're coming in with surface level knowledge, you know, stuff that you know, the hardcore fans have known for a long time. Um, And we're kind of getting some of that with soccer in this country now. Um, I don't think gatekeeping helps with anything. Uh, I think it can be destructive, but I also don't blame anybody who does. If that makes any sense.
0: I I think there needs to be a certain level of respect of, Hey, you don't know just because you don't know that if there's an offside because the goalkeeper is on the other is 20 feet away from goal and there's one player back. If if a new fan doesn't understand why that was offside, I'm not going to beat him up for it because everyone on every commentary says, "Oh, one player, that's all you need because the goalkeeper is always way behind the ball." Saying that, you also have to show some both sides basically need to show respect to each other about, "Hey, you may know more than me." or let me explain this to you. Don't just try and make it sound because you follow the new team on the block that you're suddenly an expert on the sport.
1: Who PSG? Uh, uh, You don't have to answer. You don't have to (laughs) answer. (laughs) Yeah. You see a lot of it with like um, quote unquote supporters culture. A lot of people new into it feel like certain things have to be done in order to be taken legitimately And and that's more of an American uh, inferiority complex thing than anything else. Like, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you're not a real supporter, which I don't subscribe to at all. I I mean, you can have varying degrees of being a supporter, and it can come out in all different types of ways. There's not a blueprint for it. But I, I do see a lot of that where that's where you get a lot of, like, song copying or you know, people basically cosplaying as English fans. You get a lot of that.
0: There's certain songs that I think work, but there's also certain songs that every team has just because. And I, I don't see where that's useful. Um, I, I would question certain supporter groups, I'm not going to name any, of if they're actually helpful, if they're actually doing anything. Um, one of the aspects that we've talked about is for the rhinos is not just trying to go to a soccer team and make it all about us, which I think is the big problem. It's going to a soccer team, trying to create a community, but also helping your community. We've already had fundraisers. We've already done, we have plans for this year of things that we can do on this podcast, things we can do in a supporter group to help the Rochester community through soccer. And a lot of it seems to more be about I'm going to start a supporter group and I'm going to make it all about me. So you have to come to me for whatever. And if you don't, then you're not a real fan. And that's not that's not useful right. for anyone.
1: That, that's the difference is there's some groups that do that. They do thing. they use their, I guess, numbers to help. And then there's other ones that just do things to build their own brand and basically ride off the coattails of a soccer club. Um, and there's some in between, but that goes back to the original question, the sweet spot of soccer. Did we miss it or are we entering it? In that regard, I think we're on the way out of it as far as the organized supporters groups. I mean, I know it's early on and there's a chance to, you know, go down the right path, or, you know, whatever I think the right path is. Um, but that commercialization of the game kind of feeds that bad aspect of it where you need to have this, you need to have that, you need to run it like this if you want to be successful when the end game is just getting people out, enjoying the game and supporting the same club that you do. So among all the the, the negative things about the modern game, I do feel like there's still an undercurrent of what it's supposed to be about, which is fun
0: there is that undercurrent. I think there is, especially with, yeah, local supporters groups, there's, it's hard because people build a lot of what a supporter group should be from England without following exactly what a supporter group is in England. I'd say from, if you're following like an English Premier League team, we're in a great spot. Um, At least once a month, I'll be in a grocery store wearing football gear. And because that's basically everything that I own. And I'll get stopped by someone trying to talk about a recent game that didn't happen five years ago. But we also talked to the supporter groups and then they're like, oh, you need to wear green at this game. And if you don't, you can't be in the supporter section because it's not safe. And then you ask, why is it not safe? And there isn't an answer because
1: there is no answer. I'll just say that was Austin, which is the dumbest thing ever, where basically some guy went in there wearing... Like an international international jersey for like Columbia or something. And they kicked them out because in that group you have to wear green.
0: Yeah, I, I don't understand. It's, th- that's a problem. And I think that needs to be stomped out because there's a lot of reasons for certain requirements for a supporters group that make a lot of sense. I, I think if you accidentally wear your white U.S. national team jersey when it's we're a red day because we're trying to do something for some charity. You're the one who looks like the idiot and that's fine, but you can still be in that section.
1: So basically to answer this email, um, we don't know. uh, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Thanks for (laughs) asking though.
0: (laughs) I I would say, I I think we're, we're we're getting there. We're not, we're not there yet.
1: Well, just like the, the, anything else that has to do with this country, you can find, any extreme you want to be in. You could have the extreme of, we don't even have one. We just show up. It's a group of guys who show up and go to the games every time to the other end, which is we're hyper militant and we all wear balaclavas and we, you know, March to
0: the stadium and have a drum and and everyone shows up. up. The
1: opponent's cars. Yeah. All that shit. And you get that. And, and you know, it's basically the microcosm of the world supporter groups just in one country. So, And I know that wasn't really part of the question, but that's my answer. Um, So, I guess before we wrap up, uh, I just want to shout out to the international listeners. Australia, Belgium, Ireland, England, Switzerland, Bangladesh, Mexico, Denmark. Thank you guys for listening. if you guys want to email us, email us. You could, I'll, I'll use Google Translate. You could email us in any language you want.
0: Just please don't email us in Klingon because we're not going to read that.
1: <laughs> I, I could probably translate that. I got to brush off the old Klingon dictionary I have in the basement. Oh, yeah, Which I I do, I do have that, by the way. I went that through a phase of, where of... I was trying to learn Klingon. <laughs> I was just really into uh, Star Trek for like a couple months. And I would just, that's all I would do is, well, I was unemployed at the time, but I would just, I would sit on the couch with like a, a giant lip of dip, drink orange juice and just watch Star Trek. That's slightly disgusting, but kind of tracks. So it's, uh, <laughs> and I couldn't tell you one thing that happened in any episode.
0: I, I tried to get into Star Trek and that's kind of the same thing. So we're just destroying part of our uh, viewership now, I'm sure. But, uh, uh yeah. We'll, 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 we'll,
1: gives us more analytics okay. alright uh, so yeah we were the Valiant 33 podcast I am Mike I'm Stu and see you next time